Hi everyone, good morning. Um, first of all, welcome to all those who are here on the share on the Zoom. I'm going to just begin by saying how important it is that we are together and that we're studying together. Um, there are uh, many people who have called me privately or messaged me privately and uh, somewhat concerned about making Pesach. Maybe it's the first time they're making Pesach. Uh, it's possible that uh, they've made Pesach before, but it's many years ago. Uh, we're obviously quite restricted this year in getting out uh, and therefore may not be able to get all the products that we need. Uh, it's going to be a much uh, different atmosphere this year. Pesach, we're not getting out at all, etc. So I, I want to just begin in, in a very broad sense by saying something about Pesach. And I'm going to speak practically now. This is not a, a shear which is going to be spiritual in the sense that I'm not going to give big divrei Torah or talk about, uh, you know, the origins of Pesach and the spiritual message of Pesach. That was a shear I gave last night and I will be giving those shiurim in the uh, couple of weeks that we still have until Pesach. However, um, I do want to be practical because I know that people need practical advice. Um, and by the way, if you have any questions and you don't want to go live online, it's not a problem. There's a chat option on Zoom and Carly is, uh, is on the Zoom as well. She's right here uh, in, in my house and she can just uh, pass me a note uh, because I can't see the chat here on my screen, but she'll pass me a note with your questions if you have any questions, specific questions that you want to ask and that you need to have answered. Um, so. Let's dive right into it. There is a requirement on Pesach to make sure that you do not own any chametz, you don't see any chametz, and you don't um, uh, you don't eat any chametz. That means if you don't own it and you don't see it, you're hopefully not going to eat it. We do all kinds of things, and we try and be as practical as possible to ensure that we take um, chametz, uh, can you hold on a moment, can you just close that door? Thank you so much. We do all kinds of things to make sure that we take chametz out of the food supply. That is our primary concern. When it comes to not owning chametz and not seeing chametz, so we have a bit of an anomaly. According to the rabbis, and strictly speaking, um, according to Torah law, not owning chametz really means that you have said that whatever chametz I own, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't belong to me and it belongs to anybody else, or it's like the dust of the earth, which is similar to the, um, to the formulation of the bittel chametz that we say both just before or just after the Badika, the checking for chametz on the night before Pesach, and when we burn the chametz, when as we're burning the chametz, we make something called bittel chametz. We say whatever chametz there may exist that's still in our possession, it should be ka'afra da'ara, like the dust of the earth. We're mafkir the chametz. That's what it means. However, as you know, we have a lot of chametz, particularly because we uh, have much better facilities in modern times to store food. We have fridges, we have freezers, and we have storage facilities that remain dry, etc. And therefore, it's possible for us to store all kinds of chametz, and we spend uh, quite a bit of money on food, and we don't particularly want to throw away uh, all the food that we've bought before Pesach. Uh, especially if it's valuable food, if it's, uh, for example, people have extensive whiskey collections, they don't want to throw them away, etc. And the rabbis rightly understood that it's unlikely that people will want to be mafkir, to nullify truthfully in their heart of hearts chametz that they're probably going to be using after Pesach and to which no one really has access to over Pesach. So they came up with this concept of selling the chametz to a Gentile. What does that mean? That you own chametz or you own things which could be chametz. Not necessarily chametz, but they could be chametz. And you're going to sell them to a non-Jew. In our case, we 
sell them to our facilities manager, to Daryl. And I sit there on Erev Pesach and he makes a Kenyan. Um, he acquires all the chomets of the people who have submitted the chomets sale forms that we send out online. Uh, some people have come to, obviously not going to happen this year, but some people come to me and they make a Kenyan with me. In fact, as I sent out last week with the Q&A session that uh, took place with Rabbi Shechter, that's not strictly necessary. You can appoint a shaliach without actually doing a Kenyan, without um, me having to do an act of acquisition. I can be your shaliach. You can appoint me uh, by proxy by sending in a form that says that I'm your appointed messenger to sell your chametz. And then I take all these papers, um, gather them together, and I go through them with Daryl, and I sell the chametz, or your chametz, on your behalf to Daryl. We make an acquisition with money, he makes a Kenyan, and now he owns your chametz. What does that mean in practical terms? That the chametz that is in your uh, kitchen cupboard, in your cabinet, or in your freezer, uh, you know, in the garage, that that chametz now, which is identified as chametz, by the way, you need to clearly identify any cupboard that has chametz in it that is being sold for Pesach, that that's what you're doing. That chametz now belongs to Daryl for the duration of Pesach until immediately after nightfall on the last day of Pesach, on Shmini Shal Pesach, Achren Shal Pesach, and uh, then it belongs to you again. In that way, you will not have owned chametz on Pesach. Now, what happens if you discover after Pesach that there was some item of chametz that was in your possession that you didn't include in the cupboard or in the refrigerator, um, you didn't put it in any of those places that you had identified on your chametz sale form as something that you wanted to sell? So the answer is, if you did bittul, on Erev Pesach, and you said, all chametz in my possession, I am mevatel, and it's ka'afra da'ara, you have not owned chametz over Pesach. Now, we're very strict about that, and after Pesach, we take that chametz and we throw it away. Some people even burn it. Why? Because the fact is, it was in your possession, and you were mafgirit, but nevertheless, um, you had it in your possession, and therefore it's better to throw it away and to show that you were genuine in not wanting to have it over Pesach by getting rid of it after Pesach. However, it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. Just because there was chametz in your house doesn't mean you've done something wrong because genuinely speaking, you didn't want to own chametz over Pesach and genuinely speaking, you made the effort to either sell it or to be mafgirit and to make the bittel on Erev Pesach. So, in a sense, one need not be worried about owning chametz on Pesach. That side of things, bal bal that you shouldn't see chametz and you shouldn't uh, find chametz, in other words, own chametz over Pesach, is handled either by the bittel or uh, possibly and preferably by the sale of chametz that you're going to do via me as your messenger. The main concern for us is not chametz that may exist in your house. The main concern is to eradicate uh, chametz from your food supply. That is really the tough thing to do. That's much harder because you need to make sure that all the products that you use, all the ingredients that are involved in you making food, are not going to include any chametz. So, for uh, centuries, I'm sure for a millennia, there have been people who have been working hard to supply food to the Jewish community to make sure that they are not going to eat chametz on Pesach. I'm not talking about matzah. Of course, we're not going to eat bread on Pesach. We're not talking about that. And matzah is something that is, you know, is handled very well by people who are professionals at making matzah. Today we have options. We have the shmura hand-baked matzah that you can get, or you've got the machine uh, baked matzah that you can obtain. Those We're not even talking about matzah. Obviously, matzah is not going to be chametz. But what about the basic ingredients in your kitchen? Clearly, we're not going to be able to have anything which has a wheat base. 
So you're not having any pasta, you're not having any cake or cookies, even if they have a hechsher on them, if they have an OU on them or a K or any of the various symbols that we are familiar with that um, show that something is kosher, those things are not kosher on Pesach. You have an additional layer of concern when it comes to Pesach, that it's not just that you need to eat something that's kosher, you need to eat something, anything that you eat has to be completely devoid of any chometz content. I once flew many, many years ago, and I think I've told this story before, on Cholomoyed Pesach, and the uh, stewardess, the lady brought me the food, and the meal that she served me was kosher. However, Whatever had happened in the airline, they had not been informed that they couldn't supply me with um, regular kosher food. I had to get kosher for Passover food. I had kosher le Pesach food. That's not what they gave me. So, you know, I made a whole scene. It was a bit embarrassing. I said, listen, I can't have this. It's not kosher. She said, what are you talking about? It's kosher. It's, it's supplied by the airline. It's kosher food. I said, yes, but I can't eat it. It's not mine. It still belongs to you. She had no idea what I was talking about. But essentially, the moment she handed me the food, it belonged to me. I hadn't been it. I wasn't going to burn it on the plane, but I'm not allowed to own, certainly not eat, chomet's food. There was a bread roll in the kosher meal that they had supplied me. You need to make sure that none of the ingredients that you're having uh, over Pesach are, are just kosher, regular kosher. They have to be kosher for Pesach. So we have the issue that this year it's going to be slightly harder to get ingredients. Many people are not going out to the stores uh, using um, deliveries as a method of getting their supplies. We're not quite sure. I mean, I don't, I'm not too concerned because I don't think that there's a problem in the supply of ingredients to the stores. Processed foods have been made a long time ago and they're going to be in the stores. The, the problem is obtaining them and making sure that you have all the necessary ingredients um, at home. You're not going to be able to go to, to the food markets and buy them yourself probably and even if you do it's going to be uh, you know at uh, um, it's going to be quite difficult to do so in an ordinary way and therefore if you haven't managed to obtain your food uh, um, supply your food ingredients until now that might be tough there's also other issues that we are concerned about this year with the coronavirus uh, buying fresh fruit and vegetables unless they've been packaged uh, loose vegetables and loose fruit may contain a danger of uh, of coronavirus i'm not sure how i haven't yet seen guidance as to how those should be dealt with um, you know, whether we can, uh, we can receive them with gloves and wash them thoroughly, I have no idea. But clearly, there's going to be issues this year uh, with uh, the food supply. So that being the case, what are our options? So uh, I have received, and I'm going to be sending it out to the community on the community group. In fact, Carly, you can do it now, if possible, um, that we have a list of food items which have been checked by the Chof K or Star K, I can't remember which one, um, uh, Kosher, Kashus Authority, uh, and they have checked through a list of ingredients that can be used even if they do not specifically have a Kosher for Passover sign on them. That means, for example, I haven't checked through the list thoroughly, but for example, one of the questions I get every year is, can I use sugar that has an OU on it, um, and it doesn't have an OUP. So the basic answer is, please try and find one with OUP. If you can get something which has been specifically supervised for Passover, that is clearly going to be better than buying something that has not. However, if you don't have the option, which may be the case this year, certain sugar companies we are assured, have absolutely no contaminants of a chomet's nature in their um, manufacturing plants. And therefore, if they have an OU on them, you can use them, as long as the bag has not been opened before Pesach. And the reason for that, obviously, is because sugar is generally used for baking. It's going to come into proximity. And even the smallest amount of chomets is something that's going to contaminate your food and make it not usable for Pesach. Therefore, you shouldn't use open bags of sugar. But if there is sugar on the list and you happen to have a closed bag of sugar at home that has an OU on it, 
you can use that for Pesach. And there's a three-page list which Carly's hopefully either sent or is sending to you on the community group, which, um, which has a list of all those products that can be used this year for Pesach. Obviously, again, on a regular year, I would recommend to everybody to make sure to buy kosher for Passover products only. But this year, because of the special circumstances that we find ourselves in, we may need to do with items that we wouldn't regularly use, but this year we are going to use simply because we don't have the choice and we don't have the range of supply or even uh, of the things that we can use because of the danger of, the, of contamination with coronavirus. So um, please use that list. If you have any questions about items on that list or about items that you may have that were kept in a chomets area um, until now, and as to whether you can use them for Pesach, you are welcome to private message me on WhatsApp or to call me and uh, we can discuss those details privately. Um, or you, I'm very happy to answer those questions when we open things up to the Q&A a little bit later on. Um, so, the second uh, thing to be concerned about, that's the first thing, is the food supply and to make sure that everything is kosher for Passover to the best of your ability, that it has a hechsha kosher for Passover, or at the very least is on the list of items that um, have been identified as being chomets free by the Kashrus authority that to compose the list that we've sent out, number one. Number two, what about using non-kosher for Passover cutlery, crockery, pots, pans, glassware, etc. So not everybody has those things. And we have another issue this year, which I've already spoken about in a, in a text that I sent out earlier this week that if we don't have those things and we buy new ones, let's say I bought a new set of pots and pans to use for Pesach, we can't tovel them. You can't take them to the Kalim Mikvah because the Kalim Mikvah is closed because of coronavirus. So if at all possible, and this is the advice that has been given, and again, there's two versions of this advice, and I'm very happy to go through that with you uh, privately if need be. Um, if you are able to buy uh, products from, let's say, Amazon, and you have a non-Jewish, let's call it housekeeper or friend, and you're able to tell them before, I'm buying you a gift, and it's going to come from Amazon, I'm going to use it for Pesach, and after Pesach either you can have it or you can give it to me, but can I borrow it at the very least over Pesach? And you order the item, and when they ask you in the series of fields of who this item is for, instead of filling in your name, fill in the name of the non-Jewish person to whom it will belong over Pesach. And in that situation, it will come to your house, but the name on the package will be the name of the Gentile who is obtaining it. And now the pots and pans that have come to your house don't belong to you. Therefore, you don't have to take them for Tvilas Kalim. You don't have to tovel them in a mikvah. And if there are items that belong to a non-Jew and they lend them to you and they've never been used before for non-kosher products, there's absolutely no reason why you can't use them. They're not yours. You're borrowing them. You're allowed to borrow something from a non-Jew and use them. It's only if they now belong to you and they were manufactured by non-Jewish, by Gentile manufacturers, that you need to take them for Tvila to purify them on that basis because they're now yours. But if they don't belong to you, you don't have to tovel them, you don't have to, um, uh, you don't have to ensure that they have had Tvilas Kalim. So that's one way that you can do it, because there is a bit of an issue that the non-Jew has not made a Kenyan on these items. So the way I'm trying to get around that, and I don't want to tell you that this is a perfect solution, is by identifying the recipient of whatever it is that you've bought as a non-Jewish person. So you're not just giving it to him in some type of fictitious way, but you've bought the set of pots and pans, you've identified the recipient on the receipt as the non-Jewish person to whom they are going to belong over Pesach. So therefore, it's not a pure legal fiction, there is some truth to it, 
And hopefully the Gentile will understand exactly what it is you're trying to do, that you are giving them these items and they do belong to them. And then after Pesach, they can make the choice as to whether they want to keep the pots and pans that you've used over Pesach or the glassware or the cutlery or whatever it is that you buy, or whether, whether they want them or whether they're going to allow you to keep them for another year. If they want to keep them, by the way, give them to them. It belongs to them. Okay, so that's if you're buying something new. What happens if you actually own um, new products already? You've already bought them. They weren't, the non-Jew wasn't named on the receipt. You went out to the store and bought them. So that's a little tougher because it's harder to convey that uh, object. We do have a principle of zochin la'odom shaloibafonov that you can do something which is beneficial to another person even if they are not there. For example, you can accept a gift on someone else's behalf and that gift will now belong to that other person. Again, that's, by the way, a proof that to be a shaliach for another person, you don't need to be appointed. You don't need to make a kinyan in order to become a shaliach. That person doesn't need to have appointed you. Zochin la'odom shaloi you can do something which the other person is going to be pleased about, even if they're not there. Question is, does that work when it comes to a Gentile accepting pots and pans and cutlery and crockery and glassware if they're not there? So you're there, you're now saying, I've already got this object, I'd like to accept it on your behalf, and I'd like to give it to you as a gift. Does that work? So I've spoken to a, quite a number of rabbis this week, some of them are saying we can be lenient and we can allow that. Others are saying we've got a better method and I will send that out to the community group uh, a little bit later on. Another method of doing this is to actually, in the same way as we do it with chametz, to be mafkir the item. That means to say I don't want it, it doesn't belong to me. It's an ownerless item, it doesn't belong to me. Now then, you're allowed to use an ownerless item uh, the question is, d does that mean you've taken possession of it? Again, it's a moot point. But if you are mafka the item, so the way to do that is to do it with three people on the phone or to do it in such a way that three people know about it. Say that I have this collection of pots and pans or crockery, silverware, glassware, whatever it is, and say, I've got it. It's not mine. I don't want it. Send them photographs. Say, I am mafka this completely. Anybody who wants it can come and take it. And in that case, you don't have to take these items to tovel them. Okay, so I've given you a couple of ways and explanations as to what can be done in order to ensure that items that you are going to use over Pesach um, are going to be usable and that they're going to, uh, uh, in the event that you want to keep them, you can use them next year as well, or after Pesach, you can do with them whatever you see, however you see fit. Let me explain uh, something which I think is important because I've been asked uh, a number of times why it is you can't use a uh, non-kosher for Passover kosher pot over Pesach. And the answer is, yes, you can, but it's extremely difficult. That is something which an ordinary person um, with the stuff that they have at home couldn't effectively do. So all um, pots and any vessel that you use over Pesach, they appear to be solid and impervious, but the fact is they actually do absorb the food that you make in them. So if you cook non-kosher meat, for example, in a pot, let's say that you were to cook um, a side of pork inside a pot. That pot is now going to absorb the flavor of the non-kosher meat and the walls of the pot actually contain that flavor. So any kosher meat that you would now subsequently cook in that pot is now going to reabsorb the flavor that was absorbed by the pot when you cook the non-kosher meat in that pot, because it's released, that flavor is released into the pot when you cook the meat. However, anything that contributes a taste which isn't pleasant, so however mild and minor that unpleasant flavor is, doesn't cause other foods to become forbidden. So you are permitted in that situation to do it. 
For example, if a piece of foul tasting, of, let's say it's rotten, non-kosher meat, falls in with some kosher meat, the meat is allowed to be eaten, the kosher meat can be eaten. Why? Because the non-kosher meat didn't contribute the type of flavor to the kosher meat that is something that you desire. The same thing would apply to um, any, let's call it a pot or frying pan. It absorbs the flavor of meat, of the non-kosher meat that was cooked in it. However, any taste, according to the halacha, any taste that is absorbed by a pot has, within 24 hours, become the kind of taste that you don't want to have in any other food that you cook. So therefore, if any non-kosher meat is cooked in a pot and 24 hours later, kosher food is cooked in that pot, I don't want to tell you it's ideal, but that um, the food that you make uh, remains kosher because the taste in the pot, even though it's been absorbed, um, even though it's been absorbed by the walls, as it were, of the pot or the pan, the frying pan that you're making the meat in, that foul taste doesn't make the food that you've cooked forbidden. However, that is not something you can do l'chatchila. What does l'chatchila mean? L'chatchila means um, to do something in such a way that this is the way I always do it. So yesterday somebody cooked non-kosher meat in the pot. That's okay. I can cook kosher meat in this pot because 24 hours has passed. So the rabbis don't allow that because they say that it's, going to, it's, it's the type of thing that will bring abuse of the system. It's the, uh, only if it's already happened. And now you've got this nice piece of kosher meat which you've cooked in a non-kosher pot. Rather than allowing that food to go to waste because it only happened by mistake, it was an accident, the rabbis permitted that food to be eaten. So it's called badi avad. If you forgot that the pot had absorbed the taste of forbidden meat, of non-kosher meat, and you cooked a piece of kosher meat in it, you would be permitted to eat that kosher meat because that 24-hour period has passed. So that's the general rule to do with kashrut. What about the rules concerning chametz? So vessels, pots, pans, plates, anything that are used throughout the year with hot chametz food. That means boiling hot chametz food has somehow made its way into this, into this vessel. They cannot be used on Pesach because heat causes vessels to absorb the taste of chametz. And in order for such utensils to be used during Pesach, you've got to remove the taste of the chametz through uh, methods which we'll describe. I'm not sure if we'll have time to talk about them in this particular shir, but one of them is called Hagalah and the other one is called Libun. Hagalah is to uh, dip it into, into boiling water and the other Libun is to burn out the taste either through very, very hot heat source um, or actually through the use of fire, through the use of um, um, something which shoots out a flame. If one cooks in such a pot on Pesach and you know that it hasn't been koshered, even if 24 hours have passed, so remember the rule that the foul taste of the food now, after 24 hours, would not render that item of food non-kosher during the year. But the taste, in this case, even though the taste of chametz has become, as it were, disgusting because more than 24 hours has passed, nevertheless, the cooked food is forbidden. Because we said, even the very smallest amount of chametz, it could be a, a, a micro of chametz, Nevertheless, the rabbis forbade it on Pesach because of this double rule of You cannot allow even the slightest amount, the smallest microscopic amount of chametz to creep into your food supply on Pesach. And that applies to pots that even if you would cook in them during the year and they weren't kosher, the food wouldn't become non-kosher. When it comes to Pesach, if chametz was absorbed over Pesach, sorry, chametz was absorbed during the year, over Pesach that pot is not allowed to be used. So, 
There are um, certain leniencies. We don't rely on those leniencies. And we do insist that any pot that is used on Pesach is either totally dedicated to Pesach or has been koshered. The question is, can you kosher a pot for Pesach? So it's not an easy thing to do. You have to have a torch, a flame torch, um, which not everybody has to hand. I know over the past few years, uh, from time to time, people have called on me to come and to kosher their kitchen. Uh, and uh, I have brought one with me. Uh, I have a larger one at the shul. I have a smaller one at home. And I have helped people kosher various items for Pesach. The ideal is not to use, um, to, not to use a torch to kosher pots in any event. For most of us, the pots that we use have a, uh, some type of lining inside. Either it's a non-stick lining or it is uh, some other kind of film that they add to the pot on the inside of the pot. And it could cause great damage to the pot if you try and cleanse the pot in that way. If people literally do not have any other option because they're not able to obtain a pot, I'm not sure why, because I'm sure that Amazon is still delivering pots. But if you literally do not have any other option but to use pots that you have um, used during the year for chametz, please call me privately and I will see what I can do to enable you to use those. What about cutlery? So cutlery is something that you can quite easily kosher. And this is um, something I want to help you and describe for you today. It's called Hagala. We usually do it for our Kiddush cups and for our um, other silver items that we want to use at the Seder that we use during the year. And of course, it's, um, it's a stringency because we never have hot chametz in a Kiddush cup during the year. But because we're so extremely fussy about chametz on Pesach, we take things to extremes. And we do ha'agalah on Kiddush cups and any item that was on a Shabbos table where there was a challah and there were crumbs, even if it's been cleaned and polished thoroughly, because there might somehow be the slightest trace of chametz on that silver Kiddush cup, we do ha'agalah. That same rule applies to silverware. What you need to do is you need to have a pot in which only water is boiled. No chometz item is ever boiled in that pot. It's a chometz pot, by the way. because It's not something you can use on Pesach because you're going to boil out the chometz with this pot. You fill the pot up with water. And uh, you don't have to fill it to the top. You just fill it up with water and you boil it. And you keep it on the boil. And then when it's boiling, you take, um, I usually use a metal hanger that you get from the, from the dry cleaners. You stick the metal hanger in the flame. And as you're putting in the item that you want to be koshered, you stick the, um, uh, the red hot metal hanger into the water so that it fizzes and bubbles. And that will render that boiling water, so it has to be 100 degree temperature, plus the fizzing, which is a demonstration of its heat, that will cleanse the item of any trace of chametz that may have existed on it um, before you put it into the, uh, into the boiling water. That is called hagala. Now, you can't put too many items in together. You've got to do, them in, uh, do it slowly. You've got to lower them in. Um, usually I use something which, like a, a, a bag, you can use one of these small laundry bags that people put socks in or tzitzis in, which have a lot of holes in them. And you just take the item, two or three kiddish cups, and you dip that into the boiling water and then you take it out. My recommendation to you is, this is a trick I saw as I was growing up in the shul that uh, we used to visit. And I'm sure it's something that is done elsewhere as well. You have right next to the boiling water, you have a, um, a bowl of, of cold water, which you can then stick the boiling hot metal items into so that it will cool them down. And then you can just dry them off, obviously with a clean towel, and um, you can store them for Pesach. By the way, all towels and tablecloths that one uses during the year, if you put them through a proper washing cycle, you can use them for Pesach. You don't need to cover all your tablecloths with plastic. Uh, you, and you don't have to concern yourself about buying new towels to do the drying up on Pesach. 
because once they've been through a washing cycle, the detergent in your washing, uh, your washing detergent the, uh, will have cleansed it of any trace of chametz. That is not an issue at all. So um, that is the method by which you can do Hagalah. I've been speaking for just over half an hour. And as I said earlier on, um, and Carly indicated as well, Madeline, I will be taking questions now. This is not the last shear and Q&A that I'm going to be doing. So if there are any other uh, matters which you feel that you want to have discussed in Shi'urim that I'm going to give between now and Pesach, and hopefully most of them over the next uh, week before we all begin changing over our kitchens. Um, so if you would like to let me know what those topics are, I'm happy to talk about them at any point. So it, it doesn't have to be in this year, and you don't have to ask the question publicly if you're, if you're a little bit embarrassed to do so. Um, you can just let me know privately and I will address those questions in the next year or in, in two years time so that we can uh, make sure we've covered as much ground as possible. My intent here is to make it as easy as possible in these extremely difficult circumstances for those of you who are making Pesach. And while I usually answer questions in person, because there are so many people who are finding it as, uh, difficult or struggling this year with making Pesach, I think it's much better to do it in a forum where lots of other people can hear the answers to my questions and the things that I am saying so that we can maximize the number of people who are going to benefit from the information that I'm going to share. So Carly, if you want to open it up now to Q&A, uh, let's do that. Of course, and just FYI, you can either type it in the chat or you can raise your hand. Any questions, Carly? Not yet. You can also unmute yourself and talk if you want. Okay, so Madeline has posted a question. Um, and Tammy Weissman has posted questions. So I'm going to start with Madeline's and then we'll, we'll answer Tammy Weissman. I'll try and keep up. So Madeline has asked, how can you kasher a sink? So if the sink is, um, as most of our sinks are, if it is metal, you can do a method of, it's a sort of combined method of Hagalah and Libun. So we're not able to clean it um, by dipping it into boiling hot water. But what you can do is boil up an urn and you can steam clean it. So once you've cleaned it thoroughly, it's metal. You've cleaned it thoroughly and you've made sure that every um, possible uh, crack and crevice is cleaned out and that there's n nothing that remains in the sink. What you can now do is Take an urn, a hot urn, plug it in. So usually what happens is once it's boiled, or the best is to use a kettle, a standard kettle. Once the kettle has boiled, it automatically turns off. That's what happens with an electric kettle. However, what you need to do and make sure that you cover your hands with a towel, you don't want to singe and burn yourself, that you keep pressing on the button that keeps the kettle boiling and you pour the boiling water over the metal of the sink on, uh, because then the element acts as the hanger had acted in the Hagalah that we mentioned earlier. You keep the kettle boiling, you pour the boiling water over every area of the sink, and you may need to do it twice or three times in order to cover every aspect of the sink. And in that case, you can now use the sink for Pesach. Now we've all seen the photographs, and perhaps we saw it in our homes growing up, that some people would even after that cover every aspect of the sink with aluminum foil. It's not strictly necessary. Uh, and uh, I know that uh, some people are concerned about that. It's not strictly necessary. You can simply rely on the fact that the boiling water will have cleansed any trace of chomates that exist in the sink, and you can um, quite happily use the sink over Pesach. By the way, the same applies to certain kitchen top surfaces. So for example, granite or Caesar stone, 
you can use the same method of taking a boi of boiling water out of a kettle that's still boiling and pour it directly close. By the way, you can't lift it up high and let the water fall because by the time it gets to the surface, it will have cooled down. It has to be very, very close to the surface. And by the way, get a lot of towels because it makes a tremendous amount of mess, water mess, uh, around, uh, around the kitchen area. You're going to have to dry it up. But that, in that way, you can clean granite and Caesar stone. You cannot clean marble. That means you cannot use this method to cleanse chomets from marble. And the reason for that is that marble is too absorbent. It's considered um, something which absorbs food and it's impossible to clean that out of the food. In the same way as one would clean it out of a metal pot, that doesn't work with marble. And when it comes to marble, you need to cover it uh, with something that's going to be able to withstand a full week of use. Um, somebody this week, I think it was Shirin, suggested covering it with a thick plastic wrap. I said do it two or three times. And if you're going to put anything hot over it, onto it, the hot pot, make sure that you've got either cardboard or something which is going to prevent the plastic from melting. But uh, you need to cover marble. You certainly need to cover plastic. There can also not be cushered through, um, through this method of boiling water. But Caesar stone and granite surfaces can, and of course metal in the way that I have just described. Tammy Weissman asked a question. Um, what, uh, what about toveling items in the ocean? So the answer is you can tovel items in the, in the ocean. It's not a problem. However, it may be hard to do so because we don't know how long um, this situation is going to last that we're still able to go out and do our shopping. And there may come a time in the next two, three days or week where we're completely locked down except for essential services uh, and medical emergencies. And uh, I hardly think that if you're stopped by someone who's meant to be preventing people from going around and you tell them, I need to tovel my items in the ocean, that they're going to consider that either essential services or emergency um, or a medical emergency. In addition to which, actually toveling something in the sea means you need to go into the sea and it's not something you can do in the first two or three feet. You have to go six you know, to 10 feet out and tovel it, and, and you know, if you've got a whole bunch of pots, that means going backwards and forwards on the uh, on the beach. And I'm not sure that that's such a simple thing to do. Uh, it's not something that I think is necessary. I think that the methods that I have suggested are perfectly adequate. They're not bediavad. Uh, you can do them as long as you do them in the way that I have described. That is okay. Don't worry about it. Um, if you feel that you want to have an expedition to the seaside and uh, spend some time on the beach and you want to take some items to Tovel at that time, yes, you can Tovel something at the beach in the ocean. Um, I see that there's two more questions, but I can't actually read them, Carly. Eight and nine, what are they? So you've got Helen asked about if you can use dishwashers. So dishwasher is an interesting thing. My Rebbe, my teacher um, in London, Diane Chanoch Erentroy, uh, did allow us to kasha, um, to kasha dishwashers. He said that if you put them through a full cycle with a detergent before Pesach and you leave them for 24 hours, um, you can use them because he said that the detergent that one uses uh, in a dishwasher is so strong as to eradicate, in the same way as I said before, towels can have any trace of chomets eradicated from them by the detergent that you use during a wash. Similarly, a dishwasher, as long as it's clean, it's a, you've properly and thoroughly cleaned it before you put it through a full wash, um, and if you take out the filter, make sure that everything in the filter has been removed, and then you put it through a full cycle, a proper cycle, with the detergent, with nothing in it, then you wait 24 hours, then you can begin using it for Pesach and you can use it for the duration of Pesach. So um, that is something that I would say is okay. There are people, of course, who are going to say, we don't want to rely on such a leniency. We would prefer to, uh, to wash everything properly. It's for Pesach. We don't want to take any risks to put chomets in our food supply. I would say, if that's what you want to do, ashrechem, ashrechem, do it. 
But for those people who are going to find that very difficult, yes, you can use a dishwasher over Pesach. What's, the, what's number nine? Stovetop catering for Pesach, use foil or no? So it depends what your stovetop is. If you have a metal stovetop and you can use um, a blowtorch to clean it, which is what I do, then absolutely you can use your stovetop for Pesach. I do actually cover it with silver foil as well, with aluminum foil, um, because I do think that one should have an extra level of protection. Um, you can't uh, do it on the things that cover the stove, but at least the underneath part, there is a lot of chomets that spills throughout the year um, onto your stovetop. And therefore, um, I would prefer if people did cover the actual flat part of the stove, which is below the, uh, the I don't know what to call it, the, the thing that goes over the flame, um, that you should cover that with aluminum foil, but you could certainly use a blowtorch to clean, to clean the stovetop uh, uh, as a method of using it for Pesach. Um, if you're not sure what a blowtorch is on Amazon, they, they are available. I don't know if you can buy them in Amazon, and I don't know that Home Depot is open. So uh, um, I'm not sure if you haven't got one, what you're going to do. Uh, it's not enough just to use the flame burners as a method of cleaning the stovetop. That is not sufficient. Uh, you know, you do need to use the blowtorch. Um, some people have said that if you put uh, the grills, I don't know what to call them, but the part on which you put the pot into, a, into the oven and put it at the self-cleaning temperature, that that is sufficient to clean that. It's, it's um, equal to the blowtorch. Uh, I think that in a case of great need, one can rely on that leniency and you can put it into the oven at, at, you know, underneath in the, in the hottest possible temperature, perhaps even put it under the, the grill in the oven, the electric grill, so that you can burn off any trace of chomets in that way. Um, I would be extremely careful when doing that, perhaps keep the oven open because the heat that that's going to generate is going to be unbelievably hot. It's going to be very, very high. And of course, you don't want to do something which is going to cause a fire. What's a question number 10? Can you kosher a granite countertop with the boiling water method as opposed to marble? Yes, so I mentioned that earlier. Yes, you can kosher granite with the boiling water method that I described earlier, with the kettle still boiling, the water still boiling. What's number 11? So what about racks in the oven? Do we need a blech for the stovetops? Um, so that sounds like two questions. I think we've dealt with the stovetops already. Um, the racks in the oven, you can, uh, if you're able to clean them with a blowtorch in addition to the self-cleaning temperature, I would recommend it. That's what we do. Um, uh, you know, we, the oven, the actual interior of the oven, we put it on the self-cleaning temperature for uh, several hours. And after that time, uh, the interior of the oven, obviously, which has been cleaned absolutely thoroughly, um, is considered to be kosher for Pesach, and you can use it without covering any aspect of it. The um, grills, the racks in the oven, uh, you should clean if you can with a blowtorch, otherwise rely on the self-cleaning um, leniency that I've already described. And in addition to that, you should try and cover them with aluminum foil and change that aluminum foil throughout Pesach so that when you put something directly onto the rack, that it's not touching the rack itself, that it's touching the aluminum foil, which is above the rack. Do we have any more questions today? We do. What do you make of the ruling from Israel that Zoom can be used for the Pesach Seder? Is this permissible? So my uh, immediate answer to that is no. Uh, but I'm going to be writing quite a detailed article about that over the next few days. I'm still waiting for information from Rabbi Schachter and Rabbi Willig in New York. Um, and as you know, um, this, is, this has come out as quite a shock. And a lot of people would like to be able to use Zoom. And this, this is a group of Sephardic rabbis who have emerged with, by the way, some of them have since retracted. Um, but they emerged yesterday with a ruling that said you can use Zoom for the Seder, um, but uh, immediately and almost w without any um, period of, uh, of waiting, uh, a whole bunch of rabbis, whom I do not consider to be stringent in their application of halakha, said that they cannot think of any method 
that would allow this. What I would suggest is, nevertheless, if some of you are missing family this year for Pesach, or if some of you feel that you want to at least have some type of Pesach experience with others, that a couple of hours before Pesach, get together around the Seder table and at least have some type of family gathering on Zoom over Pesach, but not actually on Yom Tov. So if, if for example, Yom Tov is beginning at 7 o'clock, I, I didn't look at the time, or 7.30, whatever the time is, um, at 5.30 or at 6 o'clock, everybody in their Yom Tov clothes, gather around the table and put the Zoom on, and maybe the grandchildren can sing Manishtana, and maybe they can say Edvah Torah, and maybe you can share some experiences that you've had on previous years, sing Dayenu together, sing Vahisha Onda together. At the very least, you should put together some type of Seder experience for your family for this year in these very, very difficult circumstances. But as I've said, I am writing an article on this. I'm hoping that I'll get it out by the end of this week. Um, I'm not sure because there's a lot of details that I need to put together uh, and as you know I like to research my articles uh, in great detail and make sure that when I uh, present them uh, for the public to read that they are as accurate as is possible for them to be. Okay, how about microwaves? Please ask... Oh, Ooh. go for it. Uh, I can't hear... Is it... It's Morris. I'll mute him. I can't, I can't hear him for some reason. Yeah, sure. Go for it. I'll be able to hear you. Okay, go ahead. He's asking about the blecha and how you address that. The blech? Yeah. What does he want to know about the blech? Oh, your kiddush cup. The kiddush cup? Hey, what's the question? What's the, the yes? What about the becher? Okay, so you you, you want to know about kashering kiddush cups? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, do you have a pot at home which you only ever use to boil water? Don't think so. So that is a, a requirement. You need to have a pot in which you only ever boil water, that you don't boil food, and it's not one that you use for Pesach. Now, it may be that you have a Pesach pot. If you are willing to have take a large Pesach pot and now relegate that to your kashering pot, you can use a Pesach pot because obviously that's never had chametz in it. Once you do the kashering in that Pesach pot, you're not going to be able to use it to cook anything in it for Pesach because by doing the kashering in that pot, it will be rendered as... It's no longer a Pesach dik, and even though you're never going to use it to cook chametz, the mere fact that you've used it to kasher your chometz items and turn them into Pesach items means you can no longer use it for Pesach because it will have been considered to absorb, have absorbed chometz. However unlikely that seems to be, it could be that will have absorbed chometz by you doing the kashering uh, in that pot. Once you've got that pot, whatever, it's a large soup pot, you fill it up with water and you boil it. Uh, when you boil the water and it's boiling and it's on the fire and it's bubbling, it has to be bubbling and steaming. It can't just be hot. Then what you do is you dip the Kiddush cup into it and then you take the boiling hot metal and you dip it into the water. So, and it's a slow process. It can't be done fast because once you've done that, you've cooled down the water. Taking a silver cup, a becher, and putting it into the hot water will have cooled it down. So when you take it out, now put that cup into the cold water so that you, you can dry it, you have to now wait for the water mm. to boil again so that you can take the next Kiddush cup and put it into that water. So the water always has to be fully boiling before you put the Kiddush cup or whatever silver item that you want to use or silverware that you want to use. Now you can't kasha um, a glass like that because the glass is going to break. Um, glass is a totally different method of kasha if you want to use glassware. Uh, you can kasha silverware, you can kasha a becher, you can kasha a silver plate. Anything which is metal can be kasha using this method.
Turn your volume up, right? And then you'll be out of here, Morris. Okay. Morris, do you want to try again? Try again, yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate all of that. My question then is, without doing that, you would say that you cannot use a becha that you've used during the year. Correct. You cannot use a becha that you've used during the year. Okay. Thank uh, you. Okay. No problem. Uh, th- I have a question. Yeah. Hi, Esther. Hi. So that was kind of my question too. So it's kind of niche to hin and niche to hair when you're posturing your sink. Um, I happen not to be British. I don't use the teapots. Um, I use that urn thing. So I have a kosher face off urn and enough, meaning a, a hot water pot. Um, so do you have an electric so kettle? Right. So um, obviously just water. So when I'm kosturing the sink, does it matter if I use the kosher for Pesach or the non-kosher Pesach you can, hot water? You, you have to use the non-kosher for Pesach hot water, not the kosher for Pesach right, one. That's what I thought. Okay, so you, right. you the best is to know. use a yeah a kettle. The best is to use a kettle because the kettle is the only. Um, it's actually brilliant for kashering, because you're able to keep the button down, which means that the element continues to boil the water. It is the best method of doing kashering. The only thing is it gets, the steam is searing hot. So you must cover your hands with a towel or something. And even then you have to stop after three or four minutes because of the heat. But the best method of using it that you can use is to keep the button down of the kettle um, that you would use to make hot water for a tea, but then just once it's done, you just pour it into the teacup or the coffee cup, whatever. You have to keep that button down and very close to the sink. So not six inches up or 10 inches up, an inch or two above the sink or above the granite surface, you pour this water as it's boiling onto that surface and that will have done the kashering for Pesach. Okay, more specifically microwaves. Um, did you get to my, Dennis, microwaves? I've not, I've not dealt with microwaves okay. yet. So uh, the microwave, you use the same method to cash a microwave during the year. Uh, the, me- the method that we use is as follows. We first of all clean out the microwave thoroughly. So in every possible respect, clean out the microwave. Don't forget that microwave, um, you know, the food that you put into a microwave very often is covered in any event. But sometimes it isn't covered and the steam will escape from it and will get absorbed by the walls of the microwave. You need to, um, uh, so it's steam that we are concerned about because it never gets to the same heat as an oven. It only gets to the level of steam. So the method, you always clean something, cusher it um, in the same way as it became, as it were, contaminated. So the only method that a microwave can get contaminated is via steam. So the way you clean a microwave is via steam. You take, I usually take a paper coffee cup, the type that you, we all have, and put, fill it with water, put the microwave on at full power for 10 or 15 minutes until all that water has burnt out. So it totally steamed the interior of the microwave. In addition to that, I take the, the um, glass tray of the microwave and cover it with plastic wrap so that there's no part of it which is exposed to anything that you're going to have in it over Pesach. In that way, when you put food, and again, all food that you put in the microwave over Pesach has to be completely covered and it won't touch anything that will be chomet, and the heat that's generated as a result of the microwave going on will have been neutralized because you boiled the water and the steam will have cleaned it um, in that method. Is that clear? Yeah, thank you. Okay, no problem. Do we have any questions? I have a question about, um, once you do the self-cleaning on the oven, the inside of the oven is pretty clean, but the glass on the inside of the door is still filthy and there's no real way. Is that an issue or is that just not considered? No, once once you've, even though it appears filthy, that dirt isn't considered chomates. Okay. So once you've done the self-cleaning, once you've burnt something to the extent that it's been rendered completely nullified, even though it looks to you like it's still there, it's not there in the sense that it's chomets, and therefore you don't have to concern yourself with it. 
Any other questions? Okay, so we're going to leave it here and we're going to have another similar share um, in a couple of days and we'll let you know via the community group that that's what we're going to do. Um, one second. Okay, yeah, uh, Sabine is just saying to me that we obviously need to make sure that the microwave is cleaned thoroughly and properly and in every respect so that there's no trace of any food in the microwave uh, um, before you start the steaming method to kasher it. Thank you everybody for joining me and uh, I appreciate the fact that you're all online. Hopefully everything is going okay. Once again, if you want to private WhatsApp me, that's not an issue at all. I'm happy to answer. And if any of the questions that you ask me I feel can be addressed in a share, I'll tell you that as well. But hopefully uh, today is, is uh, a Wednesday. Hopefully on Sunday we will have another share of a similar nature to discuss aspects of keeping kosher on Pesach and making sure that this year Pesach in the best possible way will be uh, manageable. Wishing you all well, stay safe, stay at home and besurot sovot. All the best.